Hey friends, my name is Mike Foster and this is Fun Therapy. And inside of every one of us is two distinct voices. One voice is a voice that invites us to do the brave work, the deep soul work. It's a loving voice that says, come and look and begin your path to healing. And then there's another voice, a cautious voice that warns us of this healing work. This other voice says, you're not ready or it's too risky. It protects us, but it keeps us from freedom. Whatever voice you choose to listen to today, it is my hope that you listen to the voice that sounds like love. My name is Mike Foster, and this is Fun Therapy. Well, my Enneagram lovers, you are going to be thrilled with this episode. It's with one of my favorite friends, Chris Wirtz, author of The Sacred Enneagram. Chris is a beautiful soul with a fierce voice, and he is loaded up with all kinds of wisdom. He is an Enneagram expert in every sense of the word. You're going to learn so much from Chris. This is a great conversation that we had. But before we begin, I just want to say it was so great meeting so many of you this weekend in Phoenix where I was speaking. It's so incredible to me the the reach of the Fun Fun Therapy podcast and and how many of you are listening and so grateful for you. And it was just wonderful giving you high fives and hugs and getting to hear a little bit about your story. I am going to be at some different places over the next few weeks doing some relationship and marriage events. And I'd love to say hi if you are in the area. Again, my schedule is going to be at mikefoster.tv forward slash speaking. Now, I've got a big announcement. This is a big one because this is new and it's only going to be around for like a couple weeks. So here is the new big announcement. I hope this makes some of you happy, and I hope this will be something that resonates with with a few of you. I have opened up the application process for my online one-on-one coaching. You will have the, uh, the chance to have your very own exclusive fun therapy sessions with yours truly. We'll have the chance to work together on your personal professional items over the next few months. Let me tell you a story. So this weekend, I I fixed one of my wood gates. It had been rubbing on the bricks and not closing well for almost a year. I could open it, but I would, I'd have to force it really hard. And it would make this horrible screeching noise as it grinded on those bricks. And it happened every time. And I had just put up with it for almost a year. The gate was functional. It opened, yes, but clearly something was wrong with it. And so I said, you know, enough is enough. I am going to put this on my weekend to-do list. And so I looked uh, at what was going on with the gate. I gave it my full attention. 
I looked at exactly why it was scraping the concrete. I got out a couple tools, made two simple adjustments, and voila, fixed it. And now the, de- now the gate doesn't screech. It's smooth. It's quiet. It opens and closes really easy. Why am I telling you this story? Well, that's what I want to do with you and your life in this coaching process. I want to dig into your stuff and let's find the misalignments and assess what's going on and stop the forcing and get some clarity. And we'll create an action plan and help you get the things you want for your life. You set the agenda, the topics, and then we dig in. Uh, It could be personal stuff, professional stuff, past, present, future stuff. It doesn't matter. We'll dive in and and work on it together. There's uh, two coaching packages that are available. There's a premium four-month long program of one-on-one, and there'll be some small group time, and also a face-to-face gathering at my home where we'll work for two days together face-to-face. Won't that be fun? I'm also just offering up like a straight up six hours of online one-on-one coaching. That's the other package. There's a short application process, you know, just make sure I can help you and what I'm offering is a fit for you. This opportunity to apply and sign up ends March 6th or whenever all the spots are filled. And I have no idea how fast this will fill up, but I have a sneaking suspicion that if you want to do this, I'd encourage you to move quickly. <laughs> I have limited space because you're going to be working directly with me. There's no other people working that you'll be working with. It's you'll be working with me. And we'll move strong and fast into your items and create that forward movement that you're looking for in your life. You can apply now at my website at mikefoster.tv. mikefoster.tv. Just click on private coaching to apply. Again, the link for the coaching is mikefoster.tv. Just look for the navigation item that says private coaching that'll take you to the application and i'll get back to you within 24 hours and we'll take it from there okay so on this session of fun therapy i'm joined by my friend chris wertz i've known chris for years he's a phenomenal individual he's the author of the book the sacred enneagram finding your unique path to spiritual growth It's one of the top books that I read last year. I loved it, it's so good. He teaches uh, Enneagram retreats and workshops around the world. He's also the founder of the Gravity Center. I can't wait for you to hear from Chris as we discuss all things Enneagram on this episode of Fun Therapy. Why do you think the Enneagram is so, um, why, why people are leaning in so much these days with it? Yeah. So the Enneagram of personality or the sort of type structure and descriptions of, of, of the nine sort of characters that are sort of portrayed around the circle is relatively new. This is really only about 50 years of, of, a, of a tradition. And um, for it to suddenly sort of pop and show up on the scene and for it to kind of find the traction and momentum it has now, I've kind of wondered if that doesn't have something to do with the end of social media sort of being worn out and thinned out, right? We've spent so much of our energy projecting this ego mythology of who we want to be seen as, how we want to present, 
with these pithy tweets and the super curated Instagram feeds. And I think on the other side of that, a lot of us are still asking the question, that's not who I am. And, and so what else is there? And I think maybe that's where sort of in the evolution of our human consciousness, something like the Instagram shows up and says, well, you, you've forgotten who you always have been. You've fallen asleep to your essence. And, and, and so it's a tool to help us wake up. And I think it's, it's a tool to help us wake up right on time. Yeah, I mean that that's so so interesting because one of the things that I believe is that most of us lot so much of the struggle and so much of our suffering as individuals is that we we have sort of lost ourselves and we gra- we're grasping for something to help us know who we are and know how to exist and show up in the world and and to be at peace with that. And I, I think, you know, there's a lot of like social media is a great example of like, well, I'm doing this, but I, I'm not really this person and this doesn't really capture who I am. And yet the Enneagram feels like a very helpful tool to actually bring people back to the center. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because most of us don't know that we don't know who we are. And so when you kind of see that life preserver out there, as, as maybe that first appeal to remembering, to recovering, to sort of waking up. Yeah, it, 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 it's super fresh. It's, it's, it's kind of what we didn't know that we wanted or needed. And because the sort of mugs and memes culture is making it so accessible now, it's, it's easier than ever to find access to it, to actually plug it in and, and to try it on. And I, and I like to say this, like, to sort of read it as a compassionate sketch of possibilities for, for who we can become, mm. because it reminds us, like I said, of, of who he's, who we've always been. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, would you say that most of us, like the kind of the core, um, that maybe it's a very quiet voice inside of us, but there is something calling us to, to live out and be our true selves when there's also very loud voices in culture telling us don't do that or don't be that, um, don't act that way. Don't say that. Um, there is something like spiritual core to the human experience that says, um, that draws me to my true identity. Yeah. I, I well, so I, I was just with some, some, some friends this morning and, and actually was introducing this to, to their little group and how I kind of introduced the Enneagram to them was, it basically exposes our ego set of coping addictions that we've wrapped up around a childhood wound so that we don't have to tell ourselves the truth about who we really are. Now, that's kind of a bummer because first off, I don't think the Enneagram's childhood wounds are real wounds. I think it's an experience of confirmation bias of what was lost. And so mm. you're right. So like, what do you mean by that? Tell, tell me more about that. Well, it's like if, if so I believe this, let me, let me say it like this. I, I believe that, our, our souls are purposed, that we are born to bring a gift into the world, that we all get to stand in line with these midwives of hope that are hopefully healing all of the, the fractured and broken relationships that have sort of marked our own stories. So if our, our souls are purposed, right, if, if we're born to bring either freedom or courage or faith or, or love or authenticity into the world, well, then there's something in each of our early holding environments that sort of says, no, that's that's not safe. You you can't be that. That doesn't work. And that's why 
you know, when I'm around little kids, I'm like, don't grow up, like stay young forever because it just gets harder. It's like, just because you tell the truth doesn't mean you're going to be rewarded. Just because you work the hardest doesn't mean you're going to get ahead. Just because you're the most generous doesn't mean you're going to get the love that you want. And and so there is this sensitivity and in, in, in I think the purest, most innocent parts of our essence that when we're little kids gets jarred out of that sort of safety into the reality, the harsh reality of humanity. And my sense is in the Enneagram, that's what we're reading when we look at the so-called childhood wounds. It's not that you've wounded your children. Um, it's that there was something that just woke you up to the world isn't fair. The world isn't safe. And so we we look back on that and we call it a wound. But you see, in looking back on it, we're, we're appealing to, to memory. And we know this. We know memory is simply metaphors that we fill with meaning so that our stories make sense to us. That's why eyewitness testimony is, is generally considered unreliable. Our memories are inaccurate, right? So if we, we look at our Enneagram type, right, one of these nine human archetypes for, for character structure, it really is kind of a way of coping or contending with, with the pain of, of, of simply being human. And, and for some of us, rather than deconstructing the ego, we, we build monuments to it. We polish personality. We present as, as attractive, successful, and, and, and control, and in charge. But, but that's also just keeping us asleep to what was lost, what has been forgotten, really, this, this essence, the truest part of ourself. So can you really, in a sense, can you really live out your truest identity without doing the work around the wound? Well, no. I, I, and, and that's why on, on a surface level, the Enneagram will remain popular for at least a little while because it describes foibles and quirks and caricatures. And it's, you know, hilarious. Like, oh, you're nining so hard and stop being an eight hole or whatever. But it's like, <laughs> I've never heard that before. That's awesome. <laughs> but man, if you really want to go inward, it, it's going to be devastating. It, it's going to be mm. humiliating for your ego. It, it is going to be disruptive. And, and the bummer is, is it's going to get harder and it's going to get worse before it gets better for all of us. And so mm. there's a, there's an easy entry point right now, but I, I think the sort of lasting power of folks who will really do their inner work or their soul work with this requires quite a bit of courage. And, uh, and it's a bummer because I don't think most of our, our spiritual communities allow for the kind of work that needs to be done. I don't think mm -hmm. our spiritual communities allow for us to face our fixated sort of conditioned personality and, and let it wreak the havoc that it needs to wreak. Um, we, we, we try to polish even these processes. We try to um, make them tidier than, than they're possible. And uh, if, if we don't give over to the best and the worst of us, if we don't metabolize and ingest all the good and all the bad, there, there is no way of, of, of working with it and, and working through it and, and allowing it to work itself out in us. So it's, it's, not yeah, it, it's really that whole idea of like, you really can't wake up until you wake up to the wound and the, the stuff that is sitting below the surface. And I do, you know, one of the things I love about you and your book and your message is that 
the the pain part, the trauma part, the wound part, the looking back part, the the not fun part is actually critical. It is not like this little assessment that helps us kind of have fun conversations over dinner with our friends, right? It's like, well, what are you? I'm a nine. What are you? I'm a five. You know, what? That's 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 a great starting point, perhaps. But really, to your to your point, like it's all about this reckoning with with our pain. And there is no life, and there is no centering. There's actually, honestly, what I believe is there's really no true identity without bringing all of that to the table, the mess and the the holiness of of who we are. And and so it's it's funny that you say that because I I, I've just finished up um, the manuscript for this this next book, which will be called the Enneagram of Belonging, And, and essentially that's the whole point that if we look at all these fragments of our identities and, and if we can be honest about the fragments that we've allowed to lay claim to the whole of who we think we are, then yes, like we've, we've, we've lost something because if there's any part of me that can't belong, the truth is, is no part fully belongs. And that means the good and the bad. And depending on how you were socialized, let's say some of us in religious communities, we don't even let the good belong, right? Somebody's like, man, you're such so generous. And it's like, no, 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 I'm not generous. It's like, we even self-deprecate on the beautiful parts of ourselves. So it's, it's, it's complicated, um, but it's not awful. And, and, and like I said, there's a lot of compassion in the process, but there also has to be a lot of sort of levity. We have to find a sense of humor about it because if we can't laugh at ourselves, even our sort of fixated conditioned self, then man, the resistance only makes the, 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 the troublesome aspects stronger, right? We, we fortify them. And we'll be right back. I wanted to take a moment to remind you about my upcoming Strongest Workshop, June 15th and 16th. It's a fun therapy event. If you've been thinking about coming but putting it off, don't. I want you to take this chance to invest in your life and in your freedom and in your healing and in becoming the best and strongest you. Let's get unstuck and let's get going. It's part group therapy. It's part life boot camp. You'll learn a lot. You'll be replenished. You'll be challenged. You'll heal. You'll grow. And you'll learn to take radical ownership of your story. We talk about codependency and building boundaries. We talk about identity and finding your voice. MikeFoster.tv, my website, has all the information uh, about the workshop and you can register there at mikefoster.tv forward slash workshop, mikefoster.tv forward slash workshop. And now back to my conversation with Chris. They, I imagine just this idea that there'd be some source or some individual that could come alongside and make it all make sense for you is is a very seductive um sexy thing <laughs> well so it's funny like I, I i try not to um 
kind of, let's say, read the energy of a person, even though like with the Enneagram, you can almost with nonverbals, with body language, almost even sort of pick up the subconscious clues to type. Um, I think this is important. I, I think that type and let's say coming to terms with your dominant type, it, it's a kind of pilgrimage. And so pilgrimages historically have been prayerful journeys of intention and, and they're generally one way you make a pilgrimage once. And I think this is why it's a party foul to type people. I think this is why it's, it's sacred work to, to, to own these aspects of self, but man, you know, the bummer is some of these folks who pick up the sort of the, the you know, become any affluent, they, they become type snipers and, and they start putting type on everybody in their lives. And man, I just think that, that ends up backfiring. So um, yeah, I try not. To. Well, yeah, because it because it really is something that, like when you're typing somebody, um, it, it's a very it, it's it's a starting point to a much deeper conversation. It's like I can my my wife's a nine, I'm a five. Those are numbers with profiles and language. Okay, but really, I mean, I I look at my wife and I go help it helped me understand the deeper layers of you. And really, honestly, it's been a powerful tool to help Mm. us understand each other's childhood and our wounding and why we show up sometimes in certain ways with each other. And it, you know, it is, it's kind of like the, the beginning to a really awesome, beautiful journey for, for people. But it is that sense of like, exposing ourselves to the pieces of our lives that we don't necessarily like. Yeah. And, and, but also it also shows you the the most beautiful and fabulous parts of yourself that you've forgotten. Right. And that's, and that's the bummer. So, so you, you you may remember this in the early seventies when the Enneagram of personality was being developed and, and not really was, was started First off, by this Bolivian wisdom teacher, Oscar Ichasso, introducing the, the, the fundamental building blocks, let's say, in the deserts of, of Chile. Well, one of his, his students brought that back to Berkeley, California in 1970 and in 71, 72, and 73, working with graduate students in his backyard, tricked out types. Now, the Jesuits got a hold of it. And, and in the early 70s, when the Jesuits started leaking it, they leaked it kind of through the shape of your tragic flaw, or, or they sort of leaked it with this notion of describing personality around your most addictive sin tendency. And yeah, for a long time, people were shamed into type. And for a long time, it was pretty negative and it was pretty, pretty humiliating. But I, I do think this, I, I, I think now there's, there's a lot more compassionate work being done. And I think um, there is some really, there is an upside to seeing this. It's like you, you, you can look into this kaleidoscope and, and realize like, and as a five um, and partnered with a nine, like here's the possibilities, like here's all the fecundancy that can come out of that relationship. And now that's exciting. Now that's like enthralling. Now there's a kind of thrilling I don't know how this is going to end, but I, I I see all of these possibilities that it could only bring life. It could only bring hope. It could only bring, bring a, a kind of freedom and, and, and really love. And so I, I, I'd love it, man. Sure. It, it, it does, it does excite me. 
Yeah, and I think you know, for us uh, in in our marriage, that that honestly, Chris, is where uh, the types have helped us the most because it has allowed us to um, play to our strengths mm-hmm. and have our partner help us in our weaknesses. And I, I just, you know, the light bulb on, in the way that it played out most for Jennifer and I was in our parenting. Mm-hmm with our kids, how we raise kids. And, you know, my wife's a peacemaker. And one of the big kind of aha moments for, for me, when I, when we kind of understood that, that Jennifer was a peacemaker was my expectation for her to handle discipline with our kids would be an unfair Mm. (laughs) expectation for a peacemaker. And I didn't like, I didn't, I don't like conflict. I don't like being the heavy. I don't like discipline, uh, either, but I knew that, okay, this is an opportunity for me to kind of move into this space and provide strength in an area where she might feel weakness. And it is really just, it's just helped us be better parents and a better team. And, um, but we would never would have known that we never would have had that language or I've always, I always would have been frustrated like Jennifer, why don't you lay down the wall with our, with our kiddos, you know, cause we need some discipline here. And uh, it was just, it opened us up mm-hmm. to possibility, opened us up to better parenting. And honestly, it opened us up to just, just connection mm-hmm. with each other. Yeah. So that's interesting because, you know, five and nines, these are, two of the most boundaried <laughs> of the types um, and the nine needs a lot of autonomy and the nine and the five needs a lot of kind of privacy or, 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 or sort of space to evacuate sort of into their head. But even knowing that allows you to come together, right? For the, the types that need that autonomy, it's like, that doesn't seem like a, a need in relationships until you can validate it. And then once autonomy is honored, the autonomous types choose to open themselves up and and to give themselves away. And and so this is, I mean, it's beautiful. It's like all these things that have kept so many of us stuck for so long are just kind of charted on our soul. And it's like reading Braille. It's just like, let me be delicate and let me be gentle and let me come to understand myself. And man, just with this soft touch, I can understand almost everything. Now let me simultaneously say this. I, I'm not an any evangelist. I don't think everybody absolutely has to know their type. I think it'll show up right on time and it'll show up when you need it. But I also think this, that it doesn't change everything. And, and that's a bummer, but the truth is, is nothing changes everything. That's why a lot of us who grew up in, in, in religious communities were around people who are converted, but still racist and, and didn't recycle. Even conversion doesn't change everything. And so we have to, also understand this is simply a tool to support our becoming. Yeah, that's so, that's so good and such a such an important point in 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 this discussion around the enneagram. What do you think? Uh, you know, I, I think that's sort of a um, what you described there is maybe a mis a misunderstanding that maybe a lot of people have about the enneagram. What do you think is the biggest misconception that people have about this this whole hmm. thing? Man, that's a great question. Uh, I. I, so I think like on the, the technicalities, I always joke around that the Enneagram is worse than religion. Then I'm like, nope, nothing's worse than religion. But I say that because it's so territorial and it's so divided. Um, in some of my workshops, like I'll, I'll just introduce this notion of the wings, the numbers beside yours. 
and and try to frame the enneagram as a, a color wheel, right? We we blend into these adjacent types to sort of give texture or depth or balance to our dominant type. But I also introduce nine theories on the wings, and then of course there's these crisscrossing lines in the middle of the circle. And for most of us, we probably first learned that as a path of integration and path of disintegration. But the individual who came up with that theory was actually just freestyling during a Q&A session and later on said it never meant that and it doesn't mean that. And so I offer nine alternative theories on what those lines are. And so on one hand, I think some of the technicalities are, are, are misunderstood, but I'm an any a universalist. I'm like, I think there's probably truth in all of it if it works for you. In terms of maybe the most misunderstood practical or applied aspect of this, though, I, I think that um, I like to return to this notion that that Russ Hudson, one of my my, my teachers and and a friend of mine, says he 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 constantly reminds us we are not our type. We have a type, but we're not our type. And I think um, I think that's a good reminder because I think type essentially becomes kind of this this prison where we've incarcerated our essence, where we've incarcerated our truest self. And I think some of us are are. Are, are, are given over to the misunderstanding that like I have a life term, a life sentence in this prison. So let me decorate the walls of my cell. But I, I think maybe the invitation is to try to turn these walls transparent, translucent so that our essence can radiate and shine through rather than be imprisoned. And so we have a type, but we're not mm. our type. And I, and I think that's good news for a lot of us. Yeah. I think that's, 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 the ability and the, the the chance to grow even beyond um, a number or a type, and the fact that all of us have who I am today. I, I well, let me just say this: who I was ten years ago is very different mm-hmm. than I am today, and I bet who I am ten years from now will be very different than I am right now. And so this, this, it is this very hopeful thing that, yeah, it gives us some language and gives us this, this centering, but with all, it's that, that thing that you you said earlier, Chris, about the possibilities and the opportunities for, to, to be even more than um, what we could even imagine because now we have framework. And I, you know, I, I am a five and I, a lot of people who meet me and talk to me and, uh, they they're they're often confused by my fiveness because um, you know I'm, I'm fairly social or I'm I'm decent with people or what what have you, but it, I, I think it's because um, there's all kinds of new layers of of Mike Foster that are hopefully emerging as I continue to grow and do my work. That a simple number or a simple type is um, again the starting point, but not not yeah. the finishing point. Because life is expand, hopefully our lives are expanding, growing, getting more interesting as we as we do our work. And this is, I mean, to not that you need to to defend your type. Of course, we we don't want to defend it. But yes, if if you're a five, that is a kind of let's say blunt or crude description of of, of the sophistication of of your character structure. Um, if you know the instincts and if you can know what your instincts are in terms of them being stacked, 
you move from nine to 27 subtypes, the stacking to 54, what are called instinctual variants. And then you throw a wing on either side of that. And now you have 108 types. And, and that's where like, I think it just is, it just unfolds into more, I think, clarity, certainly some complexity, but yeah, you're not one of nine people in the world. I mean, how convenient would that be if there was only nine kinds of people but man, when you start to look at the contours and you see, well, it sure looks like there's 108 impressions of, 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 of how personality starts. Now it becomes even more mysterious and I think even more helpful because you, you get a little bit more clarity. You're, you're not like every other five that you'll ever meet. And I'm not like every other eight that I'll ever meet. Yes. Yeah. And that that's... And, and is that because of like all the different layers of it? Do you, do you take that back to the wounding and, and because how we experience whatever the trauma might be or the wounding might be, uh, it, there's, there's such a uniqueness to it. So, so again, I, 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 I don't think that the so-called childhood wounds are real wounds. And I don't think that the wounds, let's say form type. I think, like I said, I, I, I read these more as a confirmation bias of what was lost and us needing to place blame. So I, I, I try to be really careful because I am working with folks who've experienced real trauma. It's not that trauma created type. We brought type to contend with trauma. And that's why you could take, you know, Nine children who all grew up in Lima, Peru, who were all um, abused by a protective caregiver at the age of four and get six or seven or eight different types in that, that, that population. You're, you're not going to sort of create type with a, a kind of trauma formula. But, but it's because of the meaning we would put on that particular mm-hmm. event as, a, mm-hmm. as an individual. That, that's where the yeah. uniqueness so, comes. So, for example, like for, for fives, I've, I've tried to sort of re-narrate the so-called childhood wound because in some cases it, it, it presents as a rejection, that the five was rejected by both the protective and, and the nurturing caregiving environments or energies in their early holding environment and, and, and eventually learn to reject that protective and that nurturing caregiving energy and then subsequently becomes really good at self-care and self-protection. Well, you can imagine this, right? Fives, pretty stable, rooted, grounded individuals. They don't sort of show as if they need much. And so I imagine for a lot of parents who had a, a child who's a five, they were just like, this is amazing. This kid isn't clingy. This kid isn't needy. This kid isn't demanding. This kid isn't asking for everything. I, I can finally give myself a second, I can sit down and read a book. I can turn on the news or whatever. And boy, my, my parents better, better get me a pretty good oh, Christmas man. gift. This but year, you know I'll what happens you. for the five who's always <laughs> watching, processing, trying to understand everything. They look at their, their caregivers and, and they wonder, Hey, why don't I get all the attention that my siblings get? Why don't I get to go out for ice cream or sit in the front seat? Like my classmates get, and, and, and so the five starts to wonder, what's wrong with me? And, and you see, 
in real life, probably absolutely nothing. In real life, probably they were the best children in their homes. So the five feels rejected. And you can already see how this is a tragic misunderstanding. And in that feeling rejected by protective and, and nurturing care, caregiving energies, the five really processes that until the five realizes, nope, I'm actually a really good kid. And it's not me that's being rejected. They're just bad parents. So I'm going to reject them and parent myself. And so it's just this clumsy, sad dance of not being loved perfectly because the truth is, is we can't receive love perfectly either. And then we live out of a narrative that we we try to convince ourselves was always true. And so actually, this is some of the work I love to do is helping folks heal the broken relationships with the parent or caregiver that were always um, a tragic misunderstanding. Yes, it's so good. Well, it comes back to, you mentioned the new book that you're working on about the belonging part and the need the need to belong. And I, I would just think that that theme has got to be not just a five theme, that's a, that's a human being theme and the desire and the misunderstandings of whether I belong or not belong, whether I'm rejected or accepted. Yeah. Talk to me more about that. So I, I, I do think this, this notion of belonging is, is, is something that really, it, it also presses on the stress fracture of our human, our, our, our psyche, our ego, our, our sense of self. And, and I think we, in, 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 in almost every person I, I come across, we want to belong. Now, my, my sense is what we do not internalize, what we try to ignore in our own sort of soul work or, or in our lives always ends up being projected, right? So if I, I, I don't actually let myself belong, if I don't actually hold myself with compassion, if I don't actually love myself well, then then yes, I, I, I'm not going to love my partner. I'm not going to love my friends. I'm not going to love my community well either. And, and so I think we've kind of done this to ourself in, in a sense. If I have fragmented myself and I live out of that fragmentation, if I allow any of these fragments to lay claim to the whole of who I think I am, then the bummer is I'm not going to belong because I don't belong first and foremost to myself. It's, it's, it's like everything. It's, it's, we learn to love by loving ourselves. We learn to receive love by being compassionate to ourselves. It's, it's like working with our mentors. It's not the things that they say that impress us the most. It's watching them live their embodied values aligned with how they they, they, they love in the world. And so I, I think this notion of belonging starts with ourself. It starts with self-compassion. It starts with self-acceptance. And, uh, and that's hard. Where, so where would you start with it? Let's say somebody says, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to do that work of self-compassion and, and belonging and get, getting comfortable in my own skin of who I am and what I represent and my gifts and strengths. Where would somebody start with that huge yeah. project? Well, so sometimes belonging. I think it, it starts with with a really simple question, which is, what what did I need to hear as a child that I didn't hear? And if you can be self aware enough to be honest with what you you wish you would have known, what you wish you could have 
been affirmed in, which you wish you could have been freed to have, have lived into, then you have to move that from what did I wish I would have been told or what do I wish I could have heard spoken over me or to me as a child to, why haven't I spoken that to myself? Why haven't I given myself permission to be wanted or needed or vulnerable or, or important? And, um, and so it, it's just simple, simple little steps. Well, thanks, Chris. What an incredible, insightful conversation. I encourage you to take that next step with Chris and get plugged into more of his teaching. And you can do that at his workshops. You can do that. Probably the easiest way to do it is to pick up a copy of his book, The Sacred Enneagram, Finding Your Unique Path to Spiritual Growth. It's available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. You can learn more about his workshops and different on-ramps to his work around the Enneagram at gravitycenter.com, gravitycenter.com. Thank you, Chris. You are incredible. And uh, friends, this is such a powerful tool that I hope you learn more about and really begin to dive into about how it can help you understand not only who you are, but what you're becoming don't forget about the one-on-one coaching registration, which is open right now. It will close on March 6th or whenever the spots are filled. I have limited space. You can get all the information at mikefoster.tv, uh, mikefoster.tv, and then just click on the private coaching link. Don't forget about the free brain detox guide also available at my website and make sure to subscribe to the fun therapy podcast, leave a rating and review. That's always incredibly helpful big thanks to sleeping at last for the music for this episode Uh, you can learn and listen more at his website at sleepingatlast.com and remember my friends no matter what has happened in your story that your setbacks can become your superpowers and honesty is always the best policy we'll see you next time on the fun therapy podcast